The theme of this lesson tonight is a sacrifice of love, and it's about forgiveness. And I didn't get a clicker. I need a clicker. Thank you. I forgot about that part. Bless you. Thank you. Is there a way to maximize that screen? Yes, in reader, um, up on view, full screen. Okay. Yeah. I'm taking that out of my 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So, forgiveness. What I want to share with you this evening is it is, and if you can't do it, it's okay. I, I can preach perfectly well with this. Um, all right. No, no, no. I'm sorry, what? Why don't you come see me one more time? I know this is so impressive. This is why it takes me 30 minutes to do a 20-minute talk. How do I get back to the beginning? Oh, the arrow. The little button below. And, okay, thank you. And the top one is the laser pointer. Okay. The top one will get me out of here quickly. (laughs) Hi, I'm Michael Fox, and I don't have time (laughs) to talk to you about any books this evening. (laughs) Forgiveness of sins, it's, it's way more than a social grace. It's the very reason that we have been reconciled to God. And that's what I want to discover. So, I want to read from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The Apostle Paul had suffered great harm from an opponent at the church at Corinth. And they had reproached him for his physical weakness. And Paul, after the the fellow had been rebuked by the congregation, Paul is beginning to worry about the fellow being ostracized. He wants them brought back in. So he's writing this about his attitude for this fellow, his forgiveness, and what the church ought to do. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. The punishment, I'm going to jump around, inflicted in him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, 
for we are not unaware of his schemes. I want you to think about this this evening. Love is too quickly abandoned when people and circumstances are at their worst. Let that settle for a moment. But, take a look at a handful of words that are, well, they describe the most beautiful aspect of love. Think of these words, grace, sacrifice, courage, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation, humility, endurance. What do these noble expressions of love have in common? They all imply brokenness or hardship and a measure of self-denial. Love is at its best when we are at its worst. Love is measured by the way we respond when things get ugly in life. It's not the time to run. Love is most evident, most beautiful, when people and circumstances are at their worst. I want to tell you something about the Apostle Paul. You know that smart kid in school, kind of homely, sort of sickly, short in stature, and he always stumbled over his words. That was Paul. He wasn't a Christian superhero in a cape. Some had said his letters are weighty and forceful, but his physical presence is unimpressive and his speaking is of no account and he roots for the San Francisco giant. Well, sorry, that's in my version. You've heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Many of you have. We don't have time to talk about it. That would be the 21st minute. But Paul had some sort of malady, some sort of condition that he just prayed that God would remove. And I wonder if we have misunderstood what it was. What if his weakness didn't compromise his activity, but it caused him to feel like he didn't have an authoritative presence? What if he thought, if only I didn't look this way, I could be a greater servant, more effective. I thought I could do better if I was prettier. The Father told Paul, though, my grace is sufficient for you. What if both the grace of God and the love of the apostle were magnified by Paul's weak body? What about you? Do you resist stances and circumstances when you fear you'll appear weak? Do you use strategies of strength to advance? Domination. Intimidation. You ever find yourself using those kind of tools? Mm, you need to check in with the Lord. 
Do you resist forgiving for the sake of pride or power? Well, as I noted a minute ago, Paul was compromised at Corinth who misunderstood Paul's real strength, which was love. I want to go back through a portion of that scripture again and pull out some principles quickly. Paul said he has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you. Paul's energy around the man's sin against him was less personal and more pastoral. He was concerned for its effect on the church. Paul said, forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Boy, that's a different outlook on forgiveness. I want that man to suffer. That wasn't Paul. Reaffirm your love for him. And then he wrote the Corinthians, he said, I wrote you to see if you would stand the test, be obedient in everything. Paul had written the Corinthians to see if they had the fortitude not merely to confront this man's sin, but to forgive it. And Paul said, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. There's an old show tune about that somewhere. Paul held no personal grudge against the man who sinned against him. And so that brings us to the core. What was behind Paul's ability, his willingness to forgive such a personal offense? This is it. From our reading, he said, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now, how do we unpack that? What does that mean? What if when, when we were faced with a difficult situation that demanded our forgiveness, what if we stood and declared in the presence of people to hold us accountable, in the presence of Jesus, the living Lord, the forgiver of my debts, and for the health of the body of Christ and its testimony on behalf of Jesus, I freely forgive this offense. That's forgiveness. Now, if you're not quite there yet, there's some insights on your worksheet that suggest how you can kind of forgive people without really surrendering yourself to Christ. So if you're coming up a little short in the surrender category, read these tips on your own, but I really don't want you to settle. Okay, hold that thought. Almost finished. Jesus said about his role, destroy this temple, my body, in three days I'll raise it up. Hebrews says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Jesus was temple, priest, sacrifice. He was temple, 
in the sense of the presence and leading of God. He was priest inviting, be reconciled to God and to man and sacrifice through unconditional neighborly love. This is Jesus. Above all else, he was and is temple, priest, and sacrifice. Okay? <laughs> this is who we are. Paul said, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, you are a royal priesthood. Paul said, I urge you by the uh, mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In the image of Jesus, you and I and we are sacrifice. Do you know what the primary purpose of the temple was? Sacrifice and intercession. It was about forgiveness. It's not a social grace. It's why we have been sent into the world. I wonder sometimes, is it possible that you and I, disciples of Jesus, would do well to invest more energy in forgiving other people than we do in being forgiven by God? Just asking. Now somewhere, somehow, many disciples of Jesus, they've assumed quite a different role in the world, different from temple, priest, and sacrifice. It sort of looks like this. You are faithful if you attend worship, if you abstain from all manner of flesh, and if you accuse. Is that what we've become? I hope not. Those people who follow this model, they cannot hardly find the ability to forgive because they have not gotten past themselves. You can let that thought go now. Okay, to conclude, a message to the evil one. Jesus, of course, taught a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If Jesus desires love, forgiveness, and reconciliation to identify his disciples, how might the evil one respond to destroy that witness, that testimony? I'll give you a story. I had a beloved mentor, old gospel preacher, another old gospel preacher, sent him a letter one time, told him how much he hated him, how wrong he had been through the years. And my mentor said, you want to see it? I said, no, I don't. He said, I keep it in my wallet. Why in the world do you keep a letter like that in your wallet? He said, so if I ever forget why I'm mad at him, I can pull it out and read it. Oh. Paul says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, 
That's why we forgive, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul understood that hard feelings, resentment, and division are Satan's strategies to foil the church. And the apostle Paul to the evil one, he does this. I see you. We are mindful of what you have in mind. I love the picture of Paul saying that to Satan. I'm watching you. I know what you're doing. I want to ask you, if you were to pull out your wallet tonight and imagine there was a note from someone that really had a hard time with you, and they wrote you a letter, and you were going to hold on to it, what is it? What's that great sin in your life that you need to forgive? I want to ask you another question before I quit. Why, why is it interesting that this fellow kept that note in his wallet? Because that's where he kept all of his treasures. His money, his credit cards, and a record of the people that wronged him. Because really that becomes like a power to us, doesn't it? We hold it over people. We control people. It's an asset. I want to leave you with a thought. I want you to imagine yourself doing this to Satan. I know what you're doing, and you're not going to use me to get away from it. May we be temple, priest, sacrifice, moving throughout this community and beyond, forgiving. Last thought, last thought. I know I probably started an hour ago, but you're good. Sometimes I think we ought to change our invitations up a little bit. I think we need to invite people not simply to come forward and obey the gospel, to escape the heat of the fire. Running away from something. What if we taught people to obey the gospel to come become a priest of the living God full of reconciliation and forgiveness? God bless you.